And now, the starting lineup for Inside Slam. At guard, number 11, from the University of Iowa, standing 4 feet 26 inches, it's the man with the smoothest voice in the commentary box, Mr. Magic, Steve Carfino. And at small forward, number 6, standing, well, sometimes because he prefers to sit, Mr. Stats himself, Evan Goldback. This is Inside Slam. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Inside Slam. It's Evan Goldback, all the way from self-isolation. Yes, still inside here in Sydney, Australia. Although things are starting to open up, uh, which is great. Probably one of the best countries to be in is in Australia other than New Zealand. So, uh, you know, to those around the world who are listening, um, you know, we're doing great here in Australia, but we hope you are as well. And Steve, you see you looking very healthy over there, mate. Where, where are you? Are you, in a, uh, are you in a laundry? Are you in a... Where are you? Are you in a laundry office or something? Or is it? Yeah, in like a makeshift office because we're about to move into our new facility, which has five courts, and uh, and it's uh, we're really looking forward to that. But right now, I'm in the geography resource room, so it's like okay. a makeshift office. But eighty um, percent of the students back uh, back in the uh, senior school, um, they're all trying to be self isolated and doing the best they can, you know, constantly people wiping the um, handrails and, and doorknobs and everything that's touched on campus. But yeah. um, great news for New South Wales, uh, no new cases um, yeah. today. So um, great, you know, just like what you said, uh, Australia doing a great job of taking this epidemic very seriously. Absolutely. Quick question for you. You're in the, you're in the geography office, so I'm going to throw out a random question. <laughs> You should know this because it's close to your home country. What's the capital of Canada? Um, Edmonton? Nope. No. Okay. And no one gets it right. That's why I said it. It's, uh, it's Ottawa. Ottawa. Okay. I wouldn't, yeah. It's like, Ed- it's like people asking what's the capital of Australia. Nobody says Canberra. If you're the only reason I said Edmonton because that's who um, Wayne Gretzky played for. Got <laughs> 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 the only, only, only hockey player I know of. You know, it's not a real popular sport for the brothers you know <laughs> it's true there's not many brothers the holiday, <laughs> the holiday destination you know that uh, the brothers want to go to and it's freezing cold there <laughs> well um episode seven and eight we're obviously on the weekend um well monday well, monday in australia sunday in the u.s i'm just going to say it episode seven for me is the best episode so far that i've seen and the reason why is that we really get that uh, that look into the psyche of Jordan. Obviously, we know what a competitor he was, but that look into the psyche and, and the fact that he just can't change that about himself. And he, before this documentary started, he said, oh, people are going to hate me. No one, no one is hating because people can see why he did what he did. And, yeah, he was a tyrant. And guys said, hey, the guy was an arsehole, but we wouldn't have got to where we would have got if he wasn't like that way. So... Um, but I'm, I'm going to get straight into it. What, what are your biggest three takeaways from episodes uh, seven and eight? Well, I mean, I, I think you touched on, let me just make sure I can, I can get to it. Um, one of the things was what you're talking about, you know, Michael Jordan psyche. And, um, you know, I'm sitting there watching with my partner who's, who's not um, from a sporting background. She's from a medical background and, you know, she didn't play competitive sports. So, you know, she 
she was watching it and she was not, she was disappointed with Michael Jordan. You know, she had heard of him, um, you know, what a great player he was. But to me, it was so interesting to, for him to share the psyche of maybe the greatest sportsman of all time. You know, like you cannot like, and I thought BJ Armstrong, BJ Armstrong uh, summed it up really well when he said, is he um, a nice guy? Um, you know, you can't achieve what Michael Jordan achieved being a nice guy. Yeah. You, you can't. And, um, and I don't know if it's healthy, you know, because he, he doesn't look terribly happy. You know, his eyes are bloodshot. And, you know, there are people talking about that, you know, that might be he's got liver problems or, you know, there's all kinds of speculation of, yeah. you know, why he doesn't look as good as Scottie Pippen looks. But, um, you know, I'm sure it's taken its toll on him, but he, you know, that's the type of psyche you have to have to be a great player. And it's been fantastic for oh. him to share and for this documentary to delve into the makeup of what makes someone so great, so competitive and to win at all costs, it takes its toll on you. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the biggest takeaway for me is the psyche, but what I love is that you need you need a player like that. Um, I think you need a player like that on almost any team that's great. You know, maybe not to the extent that Jordan had, but what I found really interesting is his psyche when he was talking about Scott Burrell. And he's like, yeah, I, tr I tried to get him to fight me a couple of times. You know, you can see that smile in his eye. Like, he didn't really want to fight him. He was trying to push him to get to that competitor's next level, that edge. Yeah. And then a little bit later, I think it was episode eight or maybe uh, late episode seven, he goes, yeah, Steve Kerr stood up to me. And yeah. I respected that. So it's not like he's just this pure asshole that's just trying to pick on people. There's a reason behind it. So a lot, and a lot of people didn't get that. And he's like, yeah, I tried to push Scott because, you know, he didn't have that drive. And then you hear, um, I think it was Jude, uh, Jude Russell talk about, no one has Jordan's drive. Like, like that, he, Jordan wanted people to get to his level, but nobody could get to his level. So there's that, it's a method behind the madness, probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, and that's, and that's it, you know, like, and, and I think that, you know, um, Scott Burrell, is that his name, Scott Burrell? Yeah. Yeah, you know, he was talking and he said, you know, he, he agreed with, with Judd. He was like, um, you know, like he, he wanted us to get there. But, you know, I don't know if he knows this, but, but no one has ever gotten there <laughs> with him. But, um, yeah, I mean, you achieve, you achieve six championships through that you know and very similar with Kobe Bryant you know he wasn't real popular with his teammates either no you know, he was driving them you know to be greater than they actually were so um and I think that these guys look at it differently um now as they're you know adults you know you can still see that you know there that there was like a quite a, a big resentment you know of them when they were or there you know you could see it in Horace Grant when he went to the the magic um, when they beat the Bulls, you know, you see him jumping around and there was a lot of jubilation of, you know, I beat Michael Jordan type of thing. And, you know, B.J. Armstrong and that one game that he had that was good. Um, and, and I thought that that was interesting. <laughs> you would think B.J. would know better than to celebrate like that, you know, <laughs> to know me. 
I'm going to take it personal and I'm going to beat you now. You know? The way Jordan said it, the way because you can tell that you can tell him and BJ have a good relationship now. BJ is obviously a big agent now. Mm -hmm. uh, probably deals with him all the time, being the you know the Charlotte Hornets owner. Um, and the, but he. He, he has you as a friend, right? He was good friends with George Carl. There's so many little things. He's like, yeah, I'm friends with you. But then somebody who's his friend will do something to him and he'll be like, man, you just rolled me up. And, B, he, goes, B, and he goes, BJ should have known better. And BJ's going, I should have known better. George Carl, who's playing golf with in the off season, brushed him before they played the Sonics. And John was like, that's all the motivation I need. He would get, he would make this, it's crazy how he made, he would, Make up his own motivation. That story about that rookie, and he made it up. That oh, the Bradford Smith. Yeah, Bradford Smith. Yeah, I remember that. He had like thirty-eight on him. Yeah, and he didn't even say that. He didn't even put his arm around him and say, you know, good game, Mike. He just made it up. You know, like so it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you brush him at dinner, or, or you know, or or you you know you don't say hello to him. It doesn't matter. You know, like. He, he, I remember he used to destroy players that went out with his wife before he married her, you know, like he didn't even know her when they went out, yeah. you know, but you know, that was an, a reason to destroy Reggie Theus. Yeah. I remember Reggie Theus, you know, who, who played for the Bulls. So he I, apparently he dated his, his wife because Michael Jordan's wife was a little bit older than him. Yeah. And so anytime he would play him, he would destroy Reggie Theus. And so, yeah, it didn't matter, you know, what George Michael and uh, George Michael, uh, George, <laughs> George Carl did. Right, Freudian slip. Yeah. George Michael. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what he did or didn't do, it, it wouldn't have mattered, you know. Like, he's a fierce competitor, and he, I mean, I mean, we go back to you know Calipari when he said, "I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to look at him. I'm not going to do anything." And in, in the end, he found something to despise him about. He didn't like the way he was talking to his players. So yeah. he destroyed him, you know. Well, just I want, to, I want to briefly touch upon it because it kind of leads up, leads us into that uh, the championship uh, that they took out against the Sonics. But obviously, he goes to baseball after his dad died. And it's, isn't it interesting that Jordan was at this level his whole life, right? Yeah. Now he's being pegged down a few. And the media is jumping on him, going, oh, he's only doing this, he's only doing... You know, he got 13, 13 hits in a row when he first started. Yeah. And then to hear Reinstorf say, uh, we threw him into double A. Nobody goes into double A that hasn't played for 15 years or even straight out of college playing. Yeah. Eric Francona, obviously World Series winning manager, says if Jordan had 1,500 at-bats, he's going to make the majors. Nobody talks. Nobody was talking about that at the time. It was always, oh, Jordan's a failure. He wasn't a failure. The guy was seriously talented and just needed a little bit more time to obviously get to that level. But, you know, batting 202 and then obviously I think he needed baseball. I think he needed to become one of the guys where there wasn't that media circus in the locker room. Well, there was a media circus, but, the, you know, he wasn't the tyrant in the locker room. He was looking for advice. He, it was a totally different scenario for him. And then that transcended into obviously the magic, obviously uh, beating them, and then then that that next season, which everyone says is you know them and the the seventy three nine Warriors, that ninety five ninety six Bulls team when they swept, they swept the Orlando Magic, right? Yeah. Think, think about it for a second. They sweep an Orlando Magic team with Shaq a year better, Horace Grant at his peak, Anthony Hardaway at his peak. 
Brian Scott. I mean, that, that team was loaded, and they swept them. Nick Anderson. And Nick Anderson. How about, how about him? 45, ain't 23. Oh, why would you say that? How about Horace Grant was like, oh, my goodness. Why would he say that? How about Glenn Rice was like, he was talking about B.J. Armstrong. Oh, my God. When he was celebrating and looking at Mike. Yeah. Oh, man, we're in trouble now. Mike's <laughs> going to take it personal. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. What I want to talk about, and I don't know if you're ready to transition into this, but it just made me think about Scotty Pippen, about him not going back into the game. Oh, my. Oh, my goodness. You know what disappoints me the most is that, you know, as he didn't a, change anything. Exactly. exactly. How did he, I, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. Yeah. I had the same feel. I was, I knew they were going to talk. I knew it was coming up, you know, like there's certain, you know, as they start to get into that era, you know, they're going into that series. I'm like, okay, here we go. I get to hear Scotty's spin on it as a grown man, having, you know, made his mistake. And here's an opportunity for us to hear how he reacts to it as a grown man, as a father, you know, as an ex-player looking back on his career, similar to how I was looking forward to Isaiah Thomas, how he handled not shaking the hands of the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and then he's talking about, you know, it was a mistake. I wish it didn't happen, but I probably wouldn't change anything. I was like, what? I actually, I actually rewinded it. I couldn't believe that he said that after he, he apologized in the locker room at the time, Bill Cartwright, that thing, that was very moving. And then for him, and I'm like, okay, the apology is coming. And the fact he said, if I had my time over, I'd still do the same thing, was that is for me was the most mind-boggling statement of almost the whole documentary. I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I'm not sure what he is. I'm not sure. Yeah. If I don't he, know about Scotty now. Like, uh, I know. Things he, there's things that he says that I'm like, oh, he's a smart guy. And then there's things that he says that I'm like, is this guy kidding? Like, it's, he's a yeah. contradiction. That's right. I was just like, he's either so stubborn that he can't get out of his own way with yeah. that. He's probably so defensive about that incident. It's probably the, unfortunately, is probably what he'll be remembered for, you know, which is crazy because I have him in my, in, you know, in my, in my top three defenders of all time, you yeah. know, like, and now we're talking, you know, after that, I'm not sure if he's stubborn or just plain stupid. That was a, like maybe the dumbest thing I've ever heard, having to reflect. And I mean, because he's so, he just contradicted himself. He said, you know, he, he apologized to his team. He said, you know, 10 seconds before he made that stupid statement, he said, well, you know, I, re- you know, I regret it happened. I wish it didn't happen. And then all he had to say after that was, if, if it happened again, I would I, surely. You know, obviously I would do it, you know, I would do it differently. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, and here's here's the worst part about it, Evan. Um, it was a tie ball game. It wasn't like he misses that shot and they lose. He had to sit there after they, you know, like if he misses it, what, is Phil going to put him back in? I wouldn't. No. Yeah, you know, like it's a tie game. He shoots it, he wins it. Or he shoots it and they go into overtime. So the game is not even close to being over, really, in your mind. You're like, okay, you're playing to win. But if he misses that shot, okay, we're forward thinking, how are we going to win this game? He's not thinking like that. He's like, you know, this is disrespectful. I'm the most dangerous player on the team. And then had the nerve to say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. 
Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I, Steve, I completely agree with you. It's I've seen Scotty in the last few years as a as a media pundit, and he's 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 been a little bit contradictory there. When he'll be like, "Oh yeah, LeBron's the greatest," and then next minute it's Jordan the greatest, and he, he's a bit contradictory at times. And there's been a, obviously there's been a lot of shining lights for him in in this in terms of showing how really good of a player he was. But then it's almost like he has this mental lapse, like. You see him throwing. I don't know if you saw. You saw him throw the chair in one of them yeah. in one of the games. Yeah. And then not to come in then and then, it's just to say that statement. I'm like, yeah. It just really. I don't know. It just brings him down to earth for me. The fact that, yeah. I mean, everyone on the planet goes, dude, you made a mistake. One hundred percent. He can't be saying I would redo that again. And oh, there's no way he would redo. It's it's got to be stubbornness or. Like you said, it's 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 stupid. It's really a dumb. It's actually a juvenile thing to say. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was either stubborn or stupid. I mean, I mean, it's not much of a choice, but yeah. that's all he gave us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just talking about uh, one one of one of my biggest takeaways, or one one of the things that I think would be really fun is Jordan obviously did Space Jam, right? Yeah. And obviously, I knew they did that gym for him. But can you imagine the games that were played in that Jordan Dome? Oh, yeah. Those pickup games. You got Reggie Miller, you got Patrick Ewing, you've got Dennis, you saw Dennis Rodman there. So, and, and sometimes those pickup games, they could be more in, you know, they could be more intense than, than a regular season game. I mean, that's what something I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for. And then Jordan the whole time going, Yeah, yeah. I was just watching the guys. I was doing my own scouting report. And I was just I just loved it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, all of that was like right around the corner from uh, the Wasserman Group where BJ Armstrong works now. And, you know, I've been privy to some of these stories, you know, knowing BJ and um, going back with, you know, my son was trying to play high school ball over in LA and then trying to go to college. And so um, I caught up with BJ a couple of times. One time I was in there and I met Russell Westbrook. Now, I, I've just seen Russell Westbrook on TV and the intensity that he has. And he's kind of like, um, he, he, he's not the most likable guy when you're watching him play, but he is the most pleasant, polite. Well, I won't say the most, but it surprised me how laid back and friendly he was. You know, BJ was like, oh, yeah, here's, I want to introduce you to when I was finest, you know, because BJ went to University of Iowa as well. He came in just after I did. Yeah. Um, I showed him around on his recruiting visit. So I know oh, BJ wow. well. And um, and so he was like, hey, here's one of Iowa's finest. And and uh, Russell was like, hey, man, nice to meet you. You know, like, wait, you know, are, are you from L.A.? Just kind of had a little bit of a chat. And I was just yeah. like, wow, that is not at all like I thought he would be. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's also great, even though I was privy to some some of the um, these stories that we're seeing on The Last Dance, the, um, the way that these guys have shared those stories, you know, I've maybe known 10% of even stories that BJ, you know, was nice enough to share with me. They've gotten 90 more percent out of, the stories that were told to me, which is even, even more incredible, you know, like, you know, you, you would think, Oh yeah, I've heard this before. You know, you're not interested. I've heard this before. And then I get to see it blossom, you know, 90%. Yeah. It's just, the, it's just 
there's so much more detail. Whoever's asking the questions has done an amazing job on getting these guys to open up. I think Bill Wellington's been great. Judge Boucher's been great. Tony Kukoc has been great. And, um, you know, if you forget how good Tony Kukoc was, he would be the perfect player for today's age. And, I mean, what, what, what do you think about Phil Jackson? Think about you playing for the Kings. You're the number one player for the Kings at the time. And your coach goes, all right, last shot of the game, I'm going to give it to, you know, our second or third option. I mean, Tony was probably their second option. Well, what are your thoughts as a as a star player? Because obviously the play that they are drawing up, is not a new play. It's something that they've run previously and they've scored from. So, I mean, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I would have been disappointed, you know, that I wasn't taking the shot. I'm the best player. Um, but you know, but I would also be um, a, a good teammate. I would have never taken myself out of the game. Let's just be clear on that one. Yeah, I would be disappointed, but I would do my job, especially since they've done, they've run that play twice. That's what I mean. They've run it before. Yeah. So yeah. They've, they've 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 been successful with it twice. So you know, everybody knows. And in, in their mind, they've seen it work already. And so you can execute it and you play to win. Yeah. You know, and chances are he's going to miss that shot. And then you're in overtime. So I wouldn't be in the wrong frame of mind going into that play because I'm figuring that he's going to miss it. And we're going to, I mean, hoping he makes it. Yeah. But you, as a competitor, you're like, all right, if he misses it, you're already thinking of the scenarios. What are we going to run? first possession it's important that we get up and to a good start in overtime you know so I would have been going about that thing completely different just like any ball player would and probably even Scotty Pippen would if he had to do it over again 100% 100% it's good to see your reaction of Kerr Phil Michael and they get even now 20 25 years later they're like you know Scotty should have known better but it's, it's just interesting you know to get your take obviously you know being not in that situation, but obviously being that number one, I guess, option. It's funny oh, how. Um, have you got a couple more things? Because there's one of them that I want to touch on. I I, I got to get into. Oh, I, oh there's one. There's, there was one one thing I wanted to talk about because they talked about the Bulls being obviously that great team in '95, '96. I just want to read out though the te- the the team that they beat. Everyone's like, oh, they beat Seattle. Let's Seattle beat Houston, who were the back-to-back champions, right? Yeah. This is the start. The starting five for the Seattle Supersonics was Gary Payton, Detlef Schrempf, Percy Hawkins, Sean Kemp, Sam Perkins, and then you had Nate McMillan as well in the team. That's a good team. Oh yeah, it's a very good team. So when they're saying, "Oh, did that," I mean, people are like, "Oh, so people are sleeping on that Sonics team being shit." That is an unbelievable team. If you if you can remember how good Detlef Schrempf is, averaging 17 a game. Percy Hawkins is averaging 15. You got Kemp. I mean, Sam Perkins, he was the same age Jordan was. Yeah. I mean, that's a really, really, really good team. Oh, yeah. Oh, all, all the time. That happens all the time. You know, like often, you know, sports writers, you know, get in their own way, you know, yeah. thinking that they're smarter or, or more important than they really are, you know. Instead of reporting on the game, they get, you know, caught up in their opinions, you know, just like some of that horrible reporting after Michael Jordan's father dies, you know, show some respect for goodness sake. Can you sit down and say the damage that you're going to make just by speculating something like that, you know, like, so, uh, you know, you can't get too carried away with the media. It's a, 
it's a very good team. You know, like they, you don't make it to the finals unless you're a very good team. Exactly. And their, and their opponent was the best one of, you know, one of the, if you're, if they're not the best team ever, they're the second best team ever, you know, as far as the record is concerned. Um, but what I about Jordan laughing at Gary. Jordan laughs, Jordan laughs at everyone. When like, they compare him, when they, was there any comparison of anybody to him is, is ridiculous in his mind. I, I, I hope they ask him about LeBron James because I want to hear that one. I just um, love the next it. episode. They say, you know, what do you think about your, you know, people comparing you to LeBron James? I would love to hear that one. Oh man. I just love the fact that they give him the iPad. They show Gary Payne's response and Jordan and he just literally, it's just raw. He just starts cracking up again. I had no problem with the glove. No. Hey, you know what? Shane Heal had no problem with the glove. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Matter, this is one of the best lines ever. <laughs> Shane's had like eight threes or something like that against uh, that team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Gary Payton's famous for talking trash. And Shane's, <laughs> Shane goes up to him and says, looks, you got, looks like you got a hole in that glove tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what though? It ain't bragging if you can back it up. That's right. Yeah, That's right. It up. Well, yeah. I love that. Then that looks like there's a hole in your glove tonight. That is awesome. <laughs> wow. That's a good one. Um, what's this last one? You what's this last point you want to get across before we get into our Brooklyn, New Jersey Nets, Mount Rushmore? I'm really excited about it. Yeah, okay. Um, just Michael Jordan, his his reaction. You know, when he talked about um and he got emotional, he said Let's take a break. Remember that part? That was so real, though. That's not scripted. That's, like, so real. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I was talking about earlier about, you know, uh, when it all costs, um, doing whatever it takes to get your teammates, to get to them to the level, um, to create such a hostile environment that, you know, when you're faced with a hostile environment, you know, at the garden, on the road, you know, two seconds left, you know, like preparing them for being the guy that always is preparing himself, preparing his teammates um, for that hostile environment to, to win at all costs. Um, and talking about what it's taken its toll on him. He said, look, you know, if you don't want to win, you know, at all costs, then, you know, get the hell off my team, you know, because I'm here to win. That's what I'm about. And then you could see that, it's taken its toll on him, you know, like he, he has lost friends. He's lost loved ones. He's, you know, he's perceived, you know, when he first starts his career as this, you know, high flying, energetic, fun, you know, life of the parties, joking all the time. And then as his career goes and as this series goes, um, this last dance goes, you know, you can see him changing. Yeah, he doesn't. You know, like he's he's a great player the whole time. Yeah. But you can see that being Michael Jordan and that one uh, commercial that he's doing, you know, people say they want to be Michael Jordan just for one day. Don't do that. Be Michael Jordan for a year and see if you like it. Yeah. And the answer is absolutely not. There's no way that anybody would want to put themselves through that. You know, so to see that side of him, you know, and he got emotional and had to stop the interview because, yeah. you know, that 
win at all costs mentality has taken its toll on him. That's definitely one of the uh, key moments of the whole series. Is oh, um, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to watch it, rewatch them again, and I'm probably I'm going to come up with there's, there's ten episodes. I'm going to come up with maybe we do it in a few pods time, just as kind of ten key points because there's so much that we're watching. I'm actually I'm probably I'm going to have to watch it again because this for me is the best the best sports documentary ever in my period in my opinion. Oh yeah, how about how it's going to change sports documentaries forever? And imagine. You know, because everything's, you know, documented a lot more in this yeah. day and age. So imagine LeBron James's when he yeah. finished, you know, that, that just amazing career that, you know, uh, Ronaldo, you know, um, all the Kelly Slater, you know, like imagine all the documentaries that are going to, oh, this is going to raise the bar so high. We're going to just see a flood of amazing documentaries. It's going to be like, it's going to be like 30 or 30 gonna be like 30 for 30 on crack guys we need a break yeah uh, they're just following me around the office now <laughs> <laughs> they should follow us on the golf course and they they see the real evan the real steve the you know the occasional shank the, the outburst of emotion then we we dial it back in right that's there's some serious competition out on that course you know, they reminded me of uh, Along Came Paulie when the guy hired his own crew to follow him around. <laughs> yes. So good. He's uh, just a total made-up documentary about himself. Excellent. Uh, well, this uh, well, this week, obviously, our second NBA team, we're talking about Mount Rushmore's the best four players of all time for each franchise. This week, it's the Brooklyn Nets. Previously, obviously, the New Jersey Nets, so we, we'll combine them, but I'm going to let the big man take the lead first. You'll give me your four, and then I'll, I'll give you my four. Okay. I'm going to go Derek Coleman, number four. He's drafted number one by the Nets. You know, good player. He, People forget about how good Oh, I know. I mean, you know, he averaged a double-double his rookie year. I mean, he's got great stats. You know, he's an – I'm pretty sure he's – I don't know if he was an all-star, but I, I know that – you know, he 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 was a great player, you know, three out of the four years he was with the Nets or maybe four out of the five years. Um, you know, he's a disappointment because he was such a force early in his career, just kind of petered out and never reached his potential. Um, you know, who know what who knows what it was, you know. Hey, you gotta you gotta have a guy who didn't reach his potential on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, that's how good he was, or that's how crappy the Nets actually are or were. <laughs> It's, it's it's not the 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 depth chart of the Nets doesn't go too deep. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll give you my first one. Um, Kenyon Martin. Yeah. I'm gonna go Kenyon Martin. I think it was you know he was a cornerstone of that franchise for a long time. Uh, very very skilled big man. Very physical. Um, also averaged a double double during his career there. So yeah, and that that centerpiece of that um, you know that early two thousands yeah. theme as well and. Yeah, I've got Kenny Martin there. Okay, number three for me. So we're working backwards, right? Working right. backwards. Okay. Uh, Drazen Petrovic. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, uh, that untimely death of his, but he was given the league fits. And he was the one that was like talking about Michael Jordan can't guard me. You know, in the um, the 30 for 30 with about him and um, Vladi Divac. Uh, some great Drazen Petrovic stories and, and he was just on a tear, you know, like because he 
wasn't playing for the trailblazers. They trade him to the nets and then all the trailblazer guys would come in and be like, you know, how many Petro go for tonight? You know, he was killing people, you know, 40, 44, uh, Reggie Miller highs, holds him in such high regard. Um, and you know, it was just, it, I, I just, I, I love the way he played, the passion that he played with, and the fact that nobody respected European players back then, and he was serving up the business. So he was um, maybe a little sentimental, that one, that pick, but but still, um, you know, I'm proud of that one, number three. All right, all right. I don't have him in my top four. I probably, maybe maybe because of the longevity that he had, but in terms of skill level, I mean, absolutely incredible. I mean, he seasons with the Nets, I mean, 22 points, three points per game, 20 points per game. I mean, the guy could definitely play. Mm-hmm. Um, my number three, I mean, he could definitely, he could have definitely been been in there for me. But my number three is uh, Vince Carter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a Vince Carter. A lot of people associating with Toronto. Probably his best seasons were with New Jersey. Obviously, him and uh, Richard Jefferson, the two high flyers there at the time, with Jason Kidd, mm-hmm. uh, who's also in my uh, my Mount Rushmore. Um, but yeah, Vince Carter for me, yeah, for me one of the top fifty players of all time, and uh, obviously the best dunker of all time. But Vince Carter with the Nets, I'm stopping. Yeah, no argument for me on that one. You know, uh, I think that there's we're, we're pretty close, and then. Um, you know, obviously the last two we're going to agree on. Maybe not the order because I'm going to go Jason Kidd too. I've got Jason Kidd at two. Yeah, Jason Kidd too. You know, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett at one, surely. What's that? Kevin Garnett at one, right? No, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> none of the none of the Brooklyn guys that are wearing black and white. Are on mine. No. And we got all right. So we're gonna go Jason Kidd and Dr. J number one and two. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, listen, you talk about Dr. J. I'll talk about Jason Kidd just because obviously I'm the age different. All right, you go first. You go Jason Kidd. All right. Well, Jason Kidd for me is uh, you know, I got him as my top five point guards of all time. Uh, people forget. Oh, I mean, I don't know if they forget, but obviously they remember him with it when he won his Dallas championship. When he was 35, but he was, you know, it was an important piece in that 2011 team with Nowitzki and Jason Terry, but he was a three-point shooting point guard and distributor there. In the early 2000s, this guy was driving, this guy was dunking, this guy was unstoppable, and he was the most important piece of that New Jersey team. Those dishes to Vince Carter, those dishes to, to Jefferson. He was a, such a focal point, and the amount of assists that that guy dialed up was just incredible. I've got, I reckon he's, John Stockton was like the premier guard in the 90s. And, you know, Jason Kidd, I think, just took it to another level. He had a bit more of a, um, a bit more of an offensive game than Stockton had. But Nash and Kidd, right ne- uh, neck and neck for me as point guard. But, yeah, what a player he was. I got to meet Jason Kidd. Um, I, so when I was chaperoning the uh, 2008 uh, Redeem team or the second dream team and, Really nice guy. Just wanted to play pool. He said, oh, he goes, oh, everyone was kind of playing doubles. He said, hey, do you want a one-on-one game so I get to play pool with him? And just when I, when you see his face and you hear his voice, they do not match. <laughs> he sounds like That's a like, brother. He sounds what? He sounds like a brother. He is a brother. But, like, he looks white, but he is a brother. He's, isn't he half? Yeah, yeah. Like it, me. His mother's white. Yeah. yeah, it's like me, Tom. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I met Jason Kidd as well. You know, Sam, oh, really? but you know, no one sounds different than than they look more than Jason Williams. He's oh, yeah, because <laughs> he's really, really white. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and he sounds really, really black. Straight up hood, and he looks like a Boy Scout. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Bring us home with Dr. J. Oh, Dr. J. Oh my goodness. You know, like um, there to go into, you know, when they went from the ABA and, and went into the NBA, you know, them. So there's the Nets, there's uh, San Antonio Spurs and uh, the Denver Nuggets. So those teams that went from the ABA to the NBA, Dr. J was the Michael Jordan of the ABA. And, um, and, you know, like when you look at highlights and you think, um, Oh, that that's dated, you know, like like you look at Bob Cousy and you're like, okay, he'd never survive in today's game. You know, he wouldn't even make it off the bench. He wouldn't make it on a team. Yeah. You know, but and then even look, even look at Bill Russell. You know, he was he was a great defensive player, but his 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 um, highlights look dated. Yeah. Correct. Dr. J, he played a long time ago, but his moves don't look outdated at all. You know, like I've haven't seen anybody do things that Dr. J did to this day, even what's Michael your, Jordan. What's your favorite Dr. J moment? Like move. Because every obviously he, he was probably 10 years of his, ahead of his time in terms of dunking, right? But yeah. it's like, for me, the move that I remember was not a dunk. It's that un, um the reverse layer. The reverse layer. Yeah. Where he's, he's like it's like go go gadget arms. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, people compare Michael Jordan's when he switched and went with his left hand to that, but that's not even close. I mean, no disrespect to Michael. I don't think Michael would even say that that one's even close to the Dr. J reverse layup. I mean, he took off outside the key and somehow gets it, you know, it has to spin perfect off the backboard. He doesn't have much time, much room for air, and he just does it perfectly, made it look almost easy. Um, so, yeah, that's my favorite one. Then, of course, the rock the baby on Michael Cooper. That was something, you know, but if you look up the top dunks of Dr. J, um, I would say the greatest dunker ever in the NBA in games is Vince Carter. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and Dr. J, um, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, they're all in the same, you know, like neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. I would say Vince Carter, Dr. J, Michael Jordan, you know, if I had to go. Yeah, dunkers in the game, you know, yeah. dunkers in traffic. Dunkers like, oh my God, and where'd that come from? Um, but Dr. J was a scorer too. I mean, he he was like this obscure player in college. His teammates were like, oh my God, he just went to astronomical levels uh, and and was quite a com complete player. Um, and and I think maybe just an opportunity for me to see him late in his career was still something special, even though I saw highlights of him in the ABA when he was at the at his prime. But, you know, what a treat. So definitely uh, the number one player on my Mount Rushmore for the Nets. All right. Well, we've got two good – I mean, at the top of Mount Rushmore each time has been pretty good. So we've had oh, – For sure. And I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you on Jason Kidd. One oh, yeah. Or two. Absolutely. One or two. I'm, I'm going to say – I will say Dr. J above Jason Kidd, but the two, first two franchises, we've got – Dominique, we agreed on, obviously, with uh, Atlanta. 
and we've got Dr. J. So those two franchises, both top guys, perfect way for us to end the pod. Um, yes, that, that's. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to going through these teams because we'll get, you know it's it's fun. Obviously, the next is a bit harder, but next week we've got Boston, so that's going to be my goodness. That's going to be going to be hard. Yeah, that is going to be hard. So, um, but everyone, listen. Always appreciate uh, you listening, subscribing. I know we've been a little bit slow on Instagram this week. Have had a couple little problems with our account, but it's back. So we'll have uh, you know little bits of the last dance going up on there. We're going to have a little bit of audio clips from Steve and I, and uh, we're going to be back with you next week. But yeah, make sure you check us out on Instagram at Inside Slam, Steve work on that geography and I'll see you on the golf course. All right, mate. <laughs>